Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me, and that's my radio voice right there. Did you hear that guy? Say, <laughs> wacky 109. Cousin Bruce. Uh, it's me, Kevin Flynn, alongside uh, soccer journalist Sam Griswold and media executive Grail Hallett. Today on OTB, we get caught up with Sasha Sorovsky, the head coach of the legendary University of Maryland soccer program. He's a frequent guest here, and he's back. He's always right in the thick of things in what's happening with men's soccer, especially on a collegiate level. Um, so Sasha was one of the Division One coaches spearheading the move for a split season in Division One programs. He and a lot of other coaches worked really, really hard for a long time trying to uh, trying to make the split season in Division One college soccer a reality. Uh, a couple of weeks before the vote, boom, coronavirus hits. Uh, so seven years of hard work. Uh, we hope it's not derailed, um, but it is at least temporarily. So. Uh, so they can get things back on track for a vote. But there's so many other questions as well. Uh, other, you know, soccer news. One of our sponsors, Soccer America, Paul Kennedy wrote an article yesterday about Division One programs. Uh, they've been targeted to, uh, to skip a season, perhaps, especially if American college football does not happen <laughs> this thing. So, I mean, this fall. So, I mean, everything is up in the air, guys. Uh, you know, I always go after college football here on this program just because – I've watched what it has done to us. You know, you have, a you know, 92 scholarships. Suddenly all women's sports fully funded just because of one men's program. We get lumped into that because of American soccer programs on a college level. They're getting dumped. And this is another excuse maybe for universities to do that, to just kind of just clean house. And suddenly soccer is uh, is not a part of the collegiate level division one any, anymore, at least on a men's level. So the women will be fine. So, and to make matters worse, U.S. soccer is in tough financial straits. So, so good morning. Good, good, cheery, cheery morning. Uh, this great news is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join. Sign up for their professional membership. And Ticket IQ. Ticket IQ is the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets, especially MLS tickets. Okay, guys. So, uh, what I'm over today is just, I don't know, just it, men's soccer always getting it from all sides, you know? It's like uh the there's you know you got the men's football programs which just pick at the trough i always say it then you have the women's soccer program has more scholarships than men they're better funded than men i get it because of title nine but not because of us we're soccer players we're not football players so um we we get screwed there and even uh these development academies who knows what's going to happen with them they've been dropped now but uh you know people started not going into college they decided to start going with club teams to basically get themselves into the pros. So so men's soccer in college has gotten it from all sides. And I still truly believe that if we want to develop into a soccer nation, into a nation that can actually win a world cup, we need to be very prudent with how we approach this as a men's soccer program. So that's, that's my beat guys. What are you guys over this morning on over the ball? Well, first of all, funny, that was a big word for you. Prudent. I was thrown off a little bit by that. I have no <laughs> idea what it meant. My mother wrote it, so I just read it. I didn't know they, they taught you that at UMass. But, uh, so I am over EPL players not adhering to the COVID-19 policies. Because once again, right. and this happens to be a very Spurs-centric thing, by the way. Two, two Spurs players were caught kicking it about in a public place, and they had to both issue public, uh, public apologies. And again, you know, we've talked in past. When, uh, when past kicking it, about, do you mean with 
two call girls? Is that the one? No, no, you know, just kicking about, you know, in the park. Kyle Walker was caught with the the prostitutes. Yeah, in in their Spurs gear. They're they're highly recognizable. (laughs) And they just go, you know, it's not like Flinty and Grail going down to the uh, Glover Field in Pelham. You know, they're in some high visibility place kicking it about. And again, I mean, there have been non-Spurs players, but uh, Mourinho was caught doing this a few weeks back. All right, so this is the second time yeah, the Spurs ex- players exactly and my 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 my, uh, my issue with it is that you know people when citizens see professional players doing this it feels like you know why can't I do this if they're it's not a bad example the yeah policy, and then one of the players example. I think had had he had already done a commercial about saying stay inside don't you know and then if about socially distancing and then soliciting a prostitute at the same well, that time. That was that was Kyle Walker. Double that whammy. Was, that was Kyle, Kyle Walker. Walker yeah. Kyle Walker yeah. with the party over at his house and the sex workers, as they call them. And uh, so, yeah, so anyway, so anyway, uh, you know, uh, Kyle Walker though, ex Spurs. By the way, this is a Spurs thing. Spurs theme running through this show. Exactly. So that's you, just you, a Chelsea fan. It's all, of course. It's all coming out. You, you know what Spurs. I think is interesting? We hate Spurs. <laughs> you do. I, I'm yeah, a, so I do. love all Serval, yeah. except American football. <laughs> um, but guys, you know what I think is interesting? We used to look at people who wore masks in an odd way. We gave sure. them a dirty look like, what's, what's your problem? You know, if you're sick, stay home. Now we're looking at people who don't have a mask on in public in a strange and, and different way. So a lot has changed. So Sam, what are you over this morning on OTB? Yeah, very simply, I'm just over this European soccer season at large. Um, I, you know, I know the Dutch league is probably shutting down. Scottish league is close to shutting down. I just, I just don't like being strung along with these, you know, most likely false hopes. I, I just think it's time to let it go. I just think at this point, it's been so conditioned by everything that's gone on. Even if it does resume, it's not going to really resemble what a normal league looks like. Uh, and I think the worst thing that could happen from all this is that, you know, we start to compromise next season going forward. So I think it's better just to let it go and, you know, look ahead. You know what it's reminded me of? It's reminded me of what's going on in this country on a national level with the coronavirus uh, outbreak here. We have no game plan in a federal sense so there's not someone saying hey everybody you know the various states different conditions different timing say this is our plan as a whole Uh, uh, the whole group this is how we're going to move forward in this all seasons are canceled all revenue money will be this all you know like rules something that is uh Prudent, (laughs) as I say the word again, for for all, you know, uh, some sort of equity there uh, that's distributed or or absorbed um, in a holistic sense where everybody sort of takes a hit because this is a tough time. So uh, it seems like everybody's just trying to do their little thing. And now you have like Belarus says, oh, we're going to play. We're going to make money because people are going to watch us. Then that only incentivizes these other teams to do the same thing. They all want their money. Yeah, I mean, I see both sides of it, Flinny, because um, I do agree, ultimately, it's the all for one and one for all. I think all the leagues should really, if La Liga, Serie the EPL should, if they're going to shut down the season, they should collectively do it. On the other hand, if I'm Germany and I'm the Bundesliga, and Germany did an amazing job at uh, containing the virus just because they knew what they were doing, why should they be punished by not being allowed to let the Bundesliga open? So I see both sides of it. Ultimately, I'm where Sam is, though. I think it all should – everybody should just agree collectively 
this season is not happening. Let's see if right. we can start in the fall. Yeah, and but UEFA, has, UEFA has eased their you know rules a little bit. At first, they came out saying everybody had to, you know, basically try their best to finish the season, and now they've you know scaled it back a little bit and said, you know, we still recommend that you finish the season, but if you can't, it's not the end of the world. Right, well, because it's public health; it's what we're dealing yeah. with here. You know, I mean, suddenly we open up massage parlors and tattoo parlors. Like you got to have a tattoo during yeah. a pandemic. It's just you've got to have a tattoo. <laughs> I what could go wrong I, there? I got a bowl. First of all, I need a massage, and then I got to go bowling. I got to do those things sequentially. Bowling. And wrestling was made as a mandatory sport, uh, you know, essential business in Florida, apparently. So, yeah. Um, well, I, I well and, and, and it's not all unified either because, you know, Sam, you mentioned the Dutch League. I mean, the reason people think the Dutch League is shut down is just because the prime minister has basically said gatherings of 100 or more people is being banned until September 1st. Mm-hmm. So that act essentially shuts down the Dutch League, but the Dutch league hasn't officially said they're shut down, but the fact is it can't happen if the prime minister is issuing this dictate. So, yeah. Yeah. They just had a vote in Italy, actually all, all 20 teams in Serie A voted unanimously to, you know, finish the season if the government allows it. But, um, you know, that's the big question. Well, of course they do. Right. I mean, cause you gotta, they want to make their money. Um, so what I think is interesting guys is, uh, and I think Sam, this is what you brought up. The um, with with happening with Sweden. What well, what is their thought process with just sort of opening it all up? Well, uh, Sweden first of all has had much, you know, much lack more lax rules on this, you know, whole thing from the start. Um, Soccer wise, they're planning to kick off their season with fans in the stadium, which is not something anyone else is thinking about in terms of you know getting back to it uh, on June fourteenth. Um, they were supposed to start at the beginning of April. That obviously got postponed. Um, but yeah, this is their tentative plan for the top two leagues. Um, they've overall taken a much, you know, as I said, more lax kind of view of this whole thing. Uh, they've allowed schools, restaurants, shops to stay open and have basically just encouraged everyone to kind of use good judgment. But wow. I don't know, some of the numbers are starting to come in that suggest it might not have been the best. They're in for a spike, right? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of schools of thought here. One is, uh, you know, you try to flatten the curve because it's not going to go away, but the healthcare systems will not be overwhelmed. So you try to yeah. flatten it, but everyone will have it. It seems like the evidence that's coming out now is a lot more people were exposed than at first um, they made us believe because of all the asymptomatic people. I mean, tens and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands even of more people than we know about. and even newer cases in in uh california santa clarita i guess that uh with its first known cases so no one knows how this is going to impact but i think one of the theories is to expose everyone to it all at once uh which is sort of like hey uh it's like a game like the hunger games for god's sake that's like trump saying let it ride like a cowboy or something which uh, there are not a lot of scientists who are thinking no he didn't say that did he yeah he did no he said he had a lot of people telling him before they they basically you know did social distancing <laughs> to let it ride like a cowboy, just let the oh, just yeah. let it go. I'm like not a good idea. I, hey, hey Sam, one thing on the Sweden thing is that's why there have been some rumors about Zlatan, mm-hmm. maybe because he's he's had some uh, issues with uh, AC Milan, I guess. That, well, he's been he's been training in Sweden for yeah. the past couple of weeks now with the team up there, and you know his contract I think is out on June 30th anyway. So. Right. 
the chances of him going back to AC Milan, you know, look pretty slim. Right. Um, yeah, interesting. I, I also love, you know, the irony that, you know, big time Fox News watchers in this country uh, are now pointing towards Sweden as, you know, this model that oh, I know. following. The uh, most socialist yeah. place in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so it is well, interesting we'll too, because we, Scandinavia is all different too. People forget. They just, they lump, you know, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, and Finland all together and just assume that they all live by the same policies and they're all so different. Walking around with wooden clogs, just, <laughs> um, but you know, if again, you talk about soccer, uh, you talk about international ramifications and sort of the synchronicity that happens with all these different nations uh, because of this game. So, uh, you know, there are political ramifications to a lot of these deals that are happening. Like for instance, with Newcastle, uh, they look to be set for a Saudi takeover. Now, uh, you know, <laughs> you're a Chelsea like, fan. That, that sounds like a ship is going to land in Newcastle. Hey, and the ships are coming I over. Mean, look, <laughs> you know, Sam brought beaches. up before we before Storming we got online there. Uh, <laughs> Sam was saying, you know, what is that like? I mean, people, there's pushback because obviously uh, Bin Salman. I mean, there's there's controversy about working conditions. There about uh, you know slave labor. About all kinds of. Uh, things going on with the Saudi-led government there. So um, the UK, uh, are they going to let it go through, the UK government? Well, right now they haven't said that they're not going to let it go through. Uh, The pushback that I've read the most about um, is coming from human rights groups, whether that's uh, Amnesty International um, or Human Rights Watch, who basically said, you know, if this goes through, this fund that's ready to, or this, you know, in group of investors, um, you know, 80% of which is made up of Saudi Arabia's public investment fund um, that, you know, the Premier League will really risk becoming kind of a patsy and uh, just a, a battleground in this proxy war that's, you know, going on between Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and, you know, other countries in the Middle East. Right. So. Right. Uh, but, you know, what? what's interesting, though, and Grail, you can speak to this, is from what I've read, fans of Newcastle all seem to be strongly in favor of this. And I don't know <laughs> they're, whether They're sick that's, of losing. That's why. They're sick yeah. of losing. This yeah, and I know that has something to do with the current owner, but um, there doesn't seem to be a ton of pushback on that level. Well, their hatred... I mean, Newcastle is a very blue-collar, loyal, hard-scrabble town. And uh, they hate with a passion their current owner and they honestly um if uh if it if this if uh, the mafia made a good enough bid to take over newcastle at this point i think they would probably <laughs> take it so um I, I i think you're right i think most of the fans are in favor of it just because they want to get rid of the old owner mm-hmm. but uh, but you, on the flip side of that you have a lot of kind of anti-so uh, uh anti-saudi anti-middle eastern feeling in the uk Mm-hmm. because of them coming into uh, Man City and, and just generally. I mean, just the U.K. is, a, is kind of a xenophobic place. So um, Yeah, but, but, but Grail, in this, in this particular situation, it yeah. doesn't seem to be because they're Saudi. It became, is, seems to be about what Saudis represent as far as human rights and, and abuse. And so it's sort of like, it's not like saying someone's a racist or sexist or homophobic. You're just talking about political policies that, uh, that do not jive with, uh, you know, like an Olympic game or... True, you, but, you I, but I think it's generally, Flinny, you could say the idea of very wealthy foreign entities coming in and buying up clubs 
in the EPL rubs a certain a portion of the population the wrong way. How, like how, it would, I how mean, does it rub a uh, particular Chelsea fan? Uh, does it rub I, him? Look, I mean, I, I just I just think Saudi Arabia has just done some very <laughs> sketchy things, obviously, including killing and dismembering a journalist. So right, um, right. So, th- so that's kind of an issue. Um, so, yeah, uh, again, I I really feel for Newcastle because it's an incredibly well-supported club. It's got a great history. They deserve a really good owner. I just wish they could do better than, than this because this is fraught with problems. What gets really yeah, good yeah. is that, you know, another big uh, opponent of this move are uh, the company being sports, the TV company right. based in Qatar with, you know, ties to the, the royal family there um, who are opposing this on the grounds that Saudi Arabia has this whole piracy, you know, operation going, stealing BN Sports Signal. State sanctioned, right? State sanctioned. Yeah. Which is, it's not uh, like some guy on his rooftop with a tinfoil hat. No, or games. if it is, it's a big roof. Um, and yeah, I mean, BN Sports, I think, has the second largest uh, overseas contract with the Premier League. So there's a lot of money there. Uh, you know, at stake. So it's, I, I just find it, you know, there, there's a good article in the New York Times by Rory Smith about this, how it's strange that, you know, people in Newcastle and Manchester become, you know, players in this sort of conflict. And all of a sudden yeah. you're defending Qatar or Abu Dhabi when probably mm-hmm. you don't know anything about it to begin with. And yeah. it's not really your fight in the first place. Yeah. So. yeah but I, and I also think that, um, you know, there was a lot of pushback when some American entrepreneurs started to purchase teams. Exactly. That's my, that's my point is the Brits don't like outsiders basically coming in and taking over their teams. I mean, in, in a perfect world, every team in the EPL and the other divisions would be owned by a Brit. That would be their ideal scenario. Right. Exactly. So, all right. Uh, we, we bring you all the geopolitical news here on, on, on World Watch each week. Uh, all right. You're listening to Over the Ball. Hey, coming up, uh, we have a great interview with Sasha uh, Sarovsky. Sasha is uh, three, a, you know multinational championships at the University of Maryland. I used to kick his ankles when we played in the indoor league. He was a, a good player, uh, really thoughtful. Uh, he's a, one of those guys, guys who, um, as he's playing, you can tell he's playing smart. You know, mm-hmm. I'm running into the hockey boards and, and he's he's picking out, you know, third man running. It's, uh, he, he was something and he was a good guy to hang out with after the games. So uh, we're going to have uh, we're going to be talking to him and a lot to talk to him about. He's got the split season, which he had worked so hard on. It's been put on the shelves for just a little bit. Also, how do you you know run a division one program with in the midst of all these all this craziness that's happening in the pandemic, or are they going to have a season? Uh, what's it going to look like? Uh, you know, what are the contingency plans? So we're going to get caught up with Sasha in just a bit. You're listening to over the ball brought to you by soccer America and ticket IQ. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, uh, the legendary coach of the legendary University of Maryland men's soccer program, Sasha Sarovsky. Sasha, welcome back to Over the Ball. How are you? I'm doing great. Great to be with you guys again. All right. So, Sash, you know, you and I for years as players and just, you know, in this game for so long, the ups and downs of men's soccer, men's college soccer. Um, reading an article this morning in one of our sponsors, uh, Soccer America, Paul Kennedy wrote about Division One college soccer being under threat because of the coronavirus, and uh, and basically 
looking for some financial relief. Can you explain that a little bit? What's that about? Yeah, yeah. so uh, I just looked at the article this morning, but I, I'm fully aware of exactly what's going on. And uh, I know the article, because it was in Soccer America, talked about Division One soccer being under threat. But the reality is uh, college sports are under a great deal of threat. And right. the article referred to, uh, so there's 32 conferences in the country, and 31 play women's soccer, 24 play men's soccer. And 27 of the 32 conferences, have, the coaches associations have banded together to write uh, a letter to the NCAA to put a waiver um, um, on, uh, to stop a waiver being put on schools. In other words, schools, in order to participate in Division I basketball tournament, for example, or football, uh, mm -hmm. if you're an FBS school, which is the, the Power Five schools, um, yeah. Or, you know, if you're one of the top countries, you either have to have 16 sports as a minimum or 14 sports as a minimum in order to participate in the national championships and tournaments. So uh, there, there's a big movement out there. These schools are asking for uh, relief. They want to have fewer sports sponsorships to get through this, you know, economic crisis that the COVID-19 has put on the universities. Uh, now, what the coaching associations are really afraid of on behalf of student-athletes is that that becomes now a green light to drop sports, uh, mm -hmm. not just soccer, but almost you know, many non-revenue sport, sports as schools see fit. And the argument is simple. Um, it, although this is a massive ec economic crisis, um, besides the health crisis, um, you know, we all feel this is still temporary, you know, whether it's, it's another 12 months or six months, right. whatever. Right. And, and, and we're hoping that, that there isn't a, a panic uh, or, or people use this crisis as an excuse to really downsize, downscale. However, the economic impact is massive. It's huge. Uh, college sports are under real serious threat right now uh, because if you look at the revenue sources for college sports, you know, there's, there's fees involved from, from universities. Well, if students are back on campus and they're not paying student fees, there's not fees that go to athletics. There's donations. Well, people's donations are going to go drastically down. There's a television money from the basketball tournament that already got cut by 40, 50% this year. The, the television money for the big conferences is not there. So almost every single revenue stream you can imagine, uh, even the anticipation is even if there is football this year, basketball, that the, that the attendances will drop significantly, whether by forced by social distancing or people just being a little bit anxious about going to big events. So every single revenue stream you can imagine is being dropped. Um, so it, it's a very tricky situation for universities, administrators, everyone else right now. How do you handle uh, maybe trying to find a way not to drop sports? Um, and one of the things we're trying to do as, as men's coaches, and we're working with the women's coaches, is trying to find creative, flexible solutions to really decrease our, our cost of business, the way we operate. Uh, so we're proactively now looking at ways. Now, some of this will be dictated to us in terms of, hey, you got to do 30% budget cut, or you got to cut your schedule, regionalize schedules, maybe, you know, don't play your conference tournaments this year. Uh, all these other things are on the table. Almost everything's on the table, but we actually are meeting. We have a conference call this afternoon with the men's uh, conference leaders. Women are talking. We're talking between men and women. What can we do to get through this crisis and continue the collaboration that we've had uh, worked on the 21st century model as an example, but now work at it in a a sustainable model for our sport so that we don't have opportunities for young men and women being dropped along the way. So, uh, yeah, there's just a, you know, it, it, it's amazing, you know, what's happened in the last four to six weeks, uh, you know, 
uh, our whole world's been turned upside down. I mean, look, look, we're all working from home, and, uh, and it, it's, it's crazy. But um, you know, we're going to get through this. Uh, we're going to get through it. There's no doubt in my mind. All right. Trail? Hey, Sasha. Um, so it, it, it sounds that you're describing a domino effect, essentially, right? I mean, yeah. which is not only happening in society, it's happening in college sports. So every, it, it sounds like every um, coach, essentially, that represents every sport is kind of having to do what you guys and, and women are doing, which is petition for yourselves. How do you, how do you see that ultimately playing out in terms of who, who is kind of spared and who potentially is left behind? Yeah, and again, so much of that is going to be dictated by, uh, by how long this crisis uh, continues on, and it'll be done at probably a local level based on each university's, uh, um, uh, you know, their own guidelines and their own path moving forward. So at every place, there's different. Now, one of the things that I've been saying for years, and one of the reasons I really pushed even the idea of the 21st century model, I think it's important, if you're not a football or basketball sport in college, is how can you find value? How can you become more significant on your own campus? How can you bring value to the university as a whole? Um, and, and not just financial, but various different ways to bring value, whether you know, you, you're um, uh, representing the school in a good way. And I think now we have to look at value in a different way. You know, how can you uh, decrease the cost of doing business? How can you be a team player that, that does whatever is necessary to uh, to help the athletic department, help the university, uh, help your kids continue to develop. So we're, we're looking at various different ways right now where you sort of have to, you know, uh, you know, tighten the reins and, and find ways where you can still kind of exist in this environment. And not, you know, look, it's too early to have a doomsday scenario um, in terms of what's happening. But there's, there, there's real, real issues. You see it all over the place. I mean, U.S. soccer canceled the VA. Um, yeah. You know, because that's cost nine million dollars, and they, you know, their revenue stream has has gone down, and you're going to see a lot of this stuff. And there, there's no doubt in my mind there will be sports being dropped, whether whether the, the minimum requirements are waived or lowered. Uh, there will be some sports dropped this year. I mean, that's just uh, unfortunately a reality uh, that will happen. Uh, you look at University of Cincinnati's situation, okay. uh, where they just got dropped recently. I mean. That was not really COVID related. That just put the exclamation mark and then making the decision to go there. So uh, everybody's got their agendas. You know, the, the you know the word is University of Cincinnati is trying to get into the Big Twelve. Big Twelve doesn't have men's soccer as a championship sport, so it became a convenient time for their path forward. That this was this made sense for them. So uh, every school locally is going to have to figure out what makes us. Uh, you know, where's the value? How can we sustain? How can we be relevant? All of those things. And I think we're just at the front end of some major decisions. I think we're all praying that all these intelligent people in this world, uh, working together, collaborating, are going to find some sort of either medicine or a vaccine that's going to give us some sense of a normalcy back sooner than later. I think the longer this waits out, I can tell you, if there's no football in college this fall, we're all in trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, I know, some, I know a, lot, a lot of our teams don't have college football there, but if, if somehow the balance of Division I sports is completely unraveled because of big-time college football not being around this fall or maybe the basketball season being impacted again, um, 
you know, there, there's, you know, th th this could be very uh, different world we're looking at in six months or nine months or 12 months from now. Well, I can see an opportunity for a correction, even if a program, if a football program, uh, which has to be matched in a Title IX sense, doesn't make revenue when they're called a revenue-producing sport. Maybe that's a chance for them to, to you know, consider realignment of how we view American football. Uh, Sam, do you have a question? Yeah, I'm just curious, Sasha, if you could give us an idea of, you know, your day-to-day -day in terms of checking in with your players, recruiting, um, you know, like that. And is, you know, I know this is probably not what you're thinking about, but is there any positive that you're taking from this and that this is giving you time to do something that you never would have had time to do before because you were so busy? Yeah, so in terms of keeping in touch with our players, you know, we're, we do at least one or two Zoom calls with the whole team, checking in with them with our additional staff of our academic advisors and strength and conditioning coach, performance coaches, trainers. And then we do individual meetings, uh, uh, you know, fairly regularly, at least once a week, checking in with the guys 10, 15 minutes, see how they're doing, make sure that they're number one healthy, uh, number two, that, uh, that, we're, that they understand that we're here to help them go through this stuff, you know. This, this is a, a kind of something none of us are used to, you know, just six weeks now we've sort of been at home and, and trying to stay healthy. Uh, you know, the word I've been telling our guys is, as you mentioned, uh, find ways to be productive, you know, uh, you know, whether it's you read a book or you, 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 you go out and fall in love with the ball. I, I think the one sort of positive <laughs> out of all of this from a, from a coaching and soccer standpoint is, uh, you know, there's no social distancing with the ball. And, and one of the areas that's been lost in, in, our, in our sort of development spectrum is the idea of, you know, going in your backyard or falling in love with the ball and, and really, you know, spending right. the, the touches and having some fun and being creative and do something every day that's productive. Um, it's, it's not, it, we're not demanding it. We're not asking for it. We're not getting videos sent to us. We're, we're just, I'm just saying to them, well, you know, find different ways in this, you know, crisis to to be productive, like we said, read a book, you know, go online, you know, do some history and stuff. Uh, we are going to be sending some of our guys uh, some of our history highlight tapes over the years just to watch to sort of connect with the past a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, we are bringing alumni speakers, you know, Jason Gary's coming on, talking to our team tomorrow uh, on a Zoom chat, not only about his career in soccer, but what he's doing now, very successful, uh, not only husband and father, but also very successful in the uh, as in the financial services industry and does a lot of work with a lot of MLS players and coaches. So he's going to show the transition to them. And sometimes you don't have time to do these things. Right. Now we have good. time to looking to do that. So no social distancing with the ball. You've obviously, <laughs> you've obviously never seen Grail's first touch. <laughs> <laughs> Grail, go ahead. You got a question. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, Sasha, since you brought up U.S. soccer and the shutting down of the, Boys and Girls Development Academies. How does that affect you directly in terms of, you know, identifying talent and, and things like that? And, um, you know, with MLS coming in and trying to fill that void, just curious about how that affects your day-to-day. -day. Yeah, I, I think, you know, all of us coaches are sort of used to kind of always adjusting to stuff. And before there was a DA, you know, we had a certain way places to go see players and, and the DA came in, uh, it just, was another platform for us to look at players, but we, you know, we'll go wherever we can find players. You know, mm -hmm. you know, we have different ways to uh, players get in touch with us. We get in touch with players, and wherever we go, we find. I mean, I think it is devastating to lose the academy. Uh, I've been a pro uh, scholastic guy, and I certainly always push the idea that I, I like the idea of kids playing high school 
uh, as part of their personal development and social development. And I didn't think it hampered their soccer development that much. Uh, but nonetheless, the DA was a great thing. Uh, on the boys' side, it really evolved into uh, a, a terrific platform. So it was really, really sad to, to see it shut down that quickly. I mean, at almost at warp speed. Um, but for us, we're, we're, we're flexible and we'll find different places. I think there'll be a few youth leagues that have picked up the slack, like ECNL, and I'm sure they'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll I think one thing that is going to happen, it has to happen, is that the cost of, of youth soccer has to come down. And the scope, uh, you can still have a national competition, but it can be more regional. Uh, I think we're going to see a little bit more of regional championships and maybe state championships again. I'm sure when you guys were growing up, there was a lot of state finals. Well, that's been so diluted now that it's been hard to sort of get that pride, that state championship stuff. And I think some of that will come back. So in some ways, uh, things will become a little bit more localized for us. Um, but none of us know what the new normal is going to look like right now. But I can assure you that uh, if there's a good player out there, we're going to find them. You or, or Coach Noonan and Clemson. You've got to find him before Noonan does. So, um, so Coach, you had made so much progress. So many people had worked so hard on, on trying to bring this split season to fruition. You're two weeks away from a vote, and then the COVID-19 sort of strikes. I mean, it's just, it's just uh, disheartening. But uh, t- two things. One, you've been a guest on the show before, so a lot of our listeners, all seven of them, have heard your pitch before. But um, – Give your elevator pitch on what you know what you'd go in and and tell an athletic director as to why it would be a good idea for a split season, and then get us up to date on sort of where we are in the progress of it. Well, you know, we've worked so hard for almost seven years now on on working on a solution to help soccer grow. That's something that we felt was good for the players and good for the game. And it was a, really a holistic model that that I think was gaining a lot of traction. I really feel. I mean, as we're taping the show, it's April 23rd. The vote was going to be today uh, on our vote. And uh, we were trending, I think, in a very good place to to pass a new semester soccer solution uh, to help grow the sport. And as I mentioned before, what we're dealing with in terms of value added, we really felt like a, 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 this 21st century model, two semester season where the championships were going to be in, in May and June uh, was, a, was a great uh, – uh, was a great model because I do yeah. think that it would have allowed our sport to really grow and to be represented in a way because the one thing that uh, for the 40 years I've been involved in college soccer from the first day I, I, I played at UWM in 1980 till now, the college championships with the exception of a few years in Davidson, a few years in Richmond, um, has, has not really represented the beauty yeah. of the sport, the growth of the sport. So, so we really felt like that this was going to be a value added uh, you know, holistic model that was going to help the game grow and, and, and provide a much better experience for student athletes. And unfortunately, right now, um, you know, that's been put on hold indefinitely. Um, yet, having said that, in a weird sort of way, there is an outside possibility that we may end up having a championship in the spring this year, or even in some ways, the, the flexibility of the 21st century model. Um, may slowly get shaped into a COVID-flexed two-semester model because Mm -hmm. of the timing of when we're allowed to go back on campus and with the idea that we don't want to have a lost season. So there's a number of us that are working on different solutions and contingencies right now to provide out there because at some point we're going to be asked, hey, what can you do? And uh, so we're looking at, uh, you know, obviously a reduced version of 
cost-friendly version that provides flexibility. Um, and we're actually even trying to see if our women counterparts will come on board. And I think they're a lot more open right now to, to find a solution because the worst, the thing we don't want is to have a terrible uh, or a really shortened championship experience in this fall just to get a season in. So we're looking yeah. at ways, because if you look at the timeline and realistically and what's happening, it might be really difficult to, to have a real fall season in its normal format as we would like right now. See, I, I like this, Sasha. This is why you're a good head coach. You're positive and uh, you're trying to turn this into a win. I, I, I like that. It's, uh, I hadn't thought of that. That's really interesting. And it could be a way to, to sort of salvage some things and also make some progress in your long-term goals. Uh, Sam, you had a question? Yeah. It, speaking of that, Coach, um, I, I know this is not the ultimate goal and I, I'm fully behind the split season. I think we all, anyone who cares about soccer in this country is. But as a compromise, is the idea of just moving soccer to the spring and having a longer season? Like I know the college baseball season is about a month longer than the college soccer season. I mean, has that been floated as, you know, a sort of potential, you know, middle road sort of? Yeah, it's not really a longer season. Um, just the baseball championship goes a little bit longer. It goes a little bit deeper into June, but it's pretty much, uh, you know, both baseball and soccer have 132 days for a non-traditional and traditional season. Um, the, uh, I, I think would be challenging if we moved all the fall sports into the spring because now the staffing and all, of, all the reasons people complain all at one time will be challenging. But um, I think, I, I, you know, it wouldn't shock me if all of us do get moved into the spring and we just have to find some way, including college football. Uh, I don't think college football uh, is going to play this fall if there's not fans in the stands. So I think college football is talking about uh, playing through the winter and spring possibly, or even their version of a split season. In other words, everything is on the table right now. And that's why right. what, what I like about our coaches is we've been working so hard together the 21st century model that we have uh, regular meetings, we know each other well, we're collaborating, we're working together. And, and it, it, it's really, it, it's kind of a, a, a really nice outcome from all the work we've done before because now we're, we're, we're tackling a, a, you know, an unforeseen enemy. <laughs> Uh, that, that we're trying to get through this together. So I, there, there's a nice, uh, good collaboration with our coaches. I'm, I'm really impressed with that. Yeah, it should be interesting to see the dynamics between the, the athletic departments of the various sports about how everybody sort of, like you said, approaches this holistically, you know, the, the whole thing here. So, um, but, you know, again, at the end of the day, none of us know the answers to any of these questions, and it's really hard. So it seems like you have some different plans, some different game plans, some different contingencies, because we're all waiting for uh, some sort of antidote to, to end this terrible pandemic. So uh, a tough time, tough time to be a coach. But, Sasha, I think you're up to it. Uh, we're going to depend on guys like yourself to sort of uh, get us through this and see if we can salvage the men's game uh sports uh college athletics everything your split season is such a great idea not only from a physical standpoint but from an academic standpoint as well so uh, we're right behind you here on over the ball and as always coach we we uh, appreciate you joining us on otb guys it's great to be with you thanks for the time and uh, stay safe we'll get through this guys and uh, uh we'll be on the field soon You know, Sasha represents to me what like a like a head coach really should be. Not just an X's and O's guys, but you can see him as a real thinker. You know, mm -hmm. he's sort of laying stuff out, contingency plans, uh, 
you know, secondary, tertiary sort of, hey, there's a word for you, for you, Grail. Oh my tertiary. goodness. You sort of ways of thinking, incredible. you know, just, uh, you know, he's very thoughtful about this and he's looking to, uh, like he said, be holistic with it. All sports come together and uh, try to get ourselves through this, which is what we should be doing as a nation anyway during a terrible pandemic and as a, as a world, really. So it was great getting caught up with Sasha. Yeah, he's a, well, he's a team guy. You can clearly yep. hear that. And uh, he knows the issues inside and out. Uh, he said he'd been working on the split season for seven years. That yeah. was astonishing. I had no idea it had been that long a, a process. But he's philosophical about it in terms of, you know, when it's going to get a chance to be voted on again. And, uh, and first things first. I mean, he's got the priorities are, you know, COVID-19 and, and making sure that D1 soccer is safe. Yeah. Yeah. Fight to save the day. Never mind. And, you know, so many people told him that it was a pipe dream. And then they had worked so hard uh, that, um, you know, Dave Mazur, Mike Noonan, all those guys got together. They were working really hard and they were close. They were close. So it wasn't a pipe dream. It was almost it had come to fruition. So it's uh, just a setback. And hopefully with attitudes like Sasha's, we can. Uh, yeah, and I thought it was interesting, through. too, Flinny, that he said it may actually give them a little bit more time to get the uh, women's uh, t- side of the equation on board. Right. right with this right. season, which which actually could even bolster their case a little bit more when it does come I, time to. I, I would say that the women participating in a split season uh, would be even more influential than the men petitioning for it, um, mm-hmm. because they're just it's they've, they're going to be listened to more. They really are, especially because they've done their homework as far as, like I said, and you know, in the outro to to uh, Sasha, physically playing three games a week. In a men's division one's college soccer is not good academically it's not good so for the welfare of the player itself and the game this is a good move sam what were your thoughts yeah i mean i you know i asked him about just moving soccer to the spring in general which um you know he wasn't that favorable on but i do think you know one real positive by you know whether it's a split season or just moving to the spring is that you know the the college cup and ncaa tournament are all in you know end of november december which is when I mean, college sports-wise, you're competing with college football, you know, and yeah. college basketball is already, you know, getting underway. Um, so just to have the championship in, you know, May or June, I feel like would be a huge difference. Big uh, time. Yeah, in terms but, of – But you could do that with the split season. No, you could right. definitely – yeah, you right. could definitely do it with the spring. With, uh, yeah. That's what he's saying, split season or spring season. I think you'd have a better chance of getting a split season than a spring season. And, mm-hmm. you know, listen, playing in New England in November is, is no bag of toys, man. That's, that is – you're playing on frozen ground. And, I, you know, Sasha mentioned the, the – yeah, But, you know, part of the deal, after a while, you're like, okay, enough is enough. You Give, give me a break. Um, you play in a, play in a parka. I like the fall, though. I like the fall season. I like the fall season too. It's the winter yeah. season that seems to yeah. bleed into the fall season yeah. in November. Look, yes. you know, um, if you're playing in a championship sort of NCAA, uh, you know, tournament play towards the end, you're freezing your butt off and you're playing games in rapid succession. So, um, you know, he mentioned the Davidson game, the, the college championships that were down there. Yeah. It was pretty full when it was down there. Problem was it's in North Carolina. I think Cary, North Carolina. Or, yeah. Yeah. Cary, North Carolina. And it was still cold. Yeah. It was still cold there. Yeah. So, and that's in North Carolina. So, never mind New England. You're playing in Boston on the turf at BC or BU in November. Well, Give my freshman break. year, we were, our semifinal in the, when we were playing in the ECACs was canceled because of snow. 
Right. So there you go. There's your fall season. No, no, that was early November. No, but still, overall, Flinny, I'm just a very traditionalist guy. I just think soccer in the fall is a it has to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying towards the end of the season, it obviously obviously gets uh, you know pretty crazy. And then you know I went to uh, when Clemson was in the Final Four. Went down to uh, what was it um, uh, Kansas City there to watch the game. No one in the stands. Big stadium. No one there. It was freezing. It was raining. It was like if it was June, you could have had high school kids, college kids, everybody to come see the game. So I watched it on TV, and I think I heard you actually having a conversation with Wurtz in the stands. That's how many people were there. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, and some other. Uh, Sam, you have any thoughts on that? Or no, good? no, yeah. All right, cool. So, um, I wanted to give a little update on this whole thing because this gets me annoyed too. Uh, <laughs> Jorge Salcedo you know, from UCLA, I've met him a couple of times, a really good guy, he made a mistake, uh, $200,000 in a bribe he received to get a player into his program. He's been, um, he's reached the plea agreement in the admission scandal. Um, he's looking at 24 to 30 months sentencing for racketeering and needs to repay the $200,000 he received. So it's unfortunate. The guy made a mistake. And I think it's unfortunate because my God, again, this, I know my so- soccer centric way of thinking, but boy, you, you uncover some basketball and football stuff. This has been going on forever. And what get who gets caught holding the bag? Rowing, <laughs> men's yeah. crew, a crew, and and men's soccer. Give me a break. So uh, it's it's, uh, it's too bad. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of you know sympathy for him. I mean, he, uh, I mean, it's too bad because he was the coach there for 15 years. He had a great career, and uh, somebody dangled a couple hundred thousand bucks in front of him, and he made a really, really bad decision. I mean, but he, but he, but he had to go out of his way to get a person in to the college who wasn't even a soccer player, didn't deserve to be it, at UCLA. Right, right. So, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, there were a lot of steps that all of these coaches had to take. Yeah. Um, and I find the whole scandal so despicable anyway, because, you know, parents and coaches just manipulating the system. For, for the privileged. It's terrible. Oh, that's, yeah, that's the privileged class. But also, uh, my thing is, you know, you lift up Rick Pitino's uh, daily diary and what's happening there, and it's, it would be off the hooks. $200,000 would be a joke. It'd be nothing. If the, no, if wrong, is, wrong, wrong is wrong, Flinny. That's what we teach our kids. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. It's uh, live your life like somebody's watching. So, yeah. uh, anyway, I, uh, you know, from a good family, um, the Salcedos and just the kids made a mistake. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate. So anything else boys before we close up here? No, I, I just, I do want to throw out one term that I learned uh, over the past week. Tertiary. But no, biosecure. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Biosecure stadiums in the premier league as a way to do it. I thought like, Oh my God, we've entered the world of sci-fi right now. Hey, what was that movie? Biodome with, uh, uh, yeah, well, just Paulie anyways, Shore, Paulie Shore, I mean, Biodome. When I think of biosecure stadiums, I think of everybody, including the players, basically being in hazmat suits, kicking a ball around. Right, right. Uh, that was one of the worst movies ever. I remember talking to Paulie Shore. He was like, he just kept making movies, and he goes, and they were all horrible. And he just, he goes, I thought I would just keep making horrible movies. He goes, I didn't realize they were going to like not give me any more after five. I'm like, well, oh yeah, he, go was, on. He, he wasn't exactly Lawrence Olivier. So no, 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 he was, he was playing Paulie Shore <laughs> exactly. there. Exactly. So. All right, guys. So uh, 
we don't paint a rosy picture here and over the ball as we went into the geopolitical ramifications. Of the uh, And it all comes down to men's soccer for me at, <laughs> of course. at the end of the day. But uh, there are bigger fish to fry out there. So anyway, I'd like to thank our guest today on Over the Ball, Sasha Sorovsky of the University of Maryland. He's always great to talk to, gets caught up on, on so much. Today's show, of course, brought to you by... Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets anywhere, especially MLS and the paper of record, as far as I'm concerned, the gray lady of soccer in this country, Soccer America. For Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTV.